Pratt & Whitney plans to double production of a new jet engine over the next five years, and the supply chain challenges are immense. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. aerospace giant, a subsidiary of United Technologies Corporation, has orders for more than 7,000 of its new jet engines, which are said to be more powerful, more fuel efficient, quieter, and resulting in fewer emissions than previous models. The engine is said to be the result of an investment of more than $10 billion over 10 years. But gearing up for production has been no easy task. Pratt & Whitney is relying on an army of outside suppliers who must be closely coordinated in order to meet tight production deadlines. Naturally, the effort hasn't been without glitches. But the company is convinced that the new engine is a game-changer that will boost its presence in the commercial aviation market. Today, I'm speaking with Sam Abdelmalik, Vice President of Global Supply Chain, who talks frankly about the challenges that the company faces in producing this state-of-the-art engine. More specifically, he outlines the role of supply chain in guaranteeing the project's success, as well as the turbulence it might face in the years ahead. So here is my conversation with Sam Abdelmalik. Sam Abdelmalik, welcome to the program. Welcome. Thank you. Pratt & Whitney has orders for 7,000 new engines. Where is that demand coming from? Well, listen, it's our, obviously it's the new NGPF program. We've invested for the last 10 years on this engine program, and it's really a, a transformation for us. It's a game changer. There's no doubt about it. That engine has really positioned us for the future where we're capturing a lot of the single aisle, like the NEO, like the C-Series, like the MRJ, etc., or the E2 from Embraer, uh, we are very well positioned uh, for the future, and that's where the 7,000 backlog has come from. NGPF, did you say? Could you explain sure. that? Yes, yeah, the next generation product family, next generation product family, it's the gear turbofan, which makes that next generation product family uh, a success. So you're talking about some of the smaller aircraft this goes on. Does it also go on some of the bigger stuff, or is this especially designed for, as you say, single-aisle, Embraer, Bombardier-type aircraft? For now, it's absolutely designed for that single-aisle, smaller commercial engines. So again, though, where is this demand coming from? Are a lot of airlines switching to the smaller aircraft, thereby creating this demand, a lot of uh, shorter runs? Or what's going on out there that has created this this, this great market for you? Well, I think if you take a look at it overall, there is no doubt about it, there's a lot of market trends and, and macroeconomic trends that is happening. The globalization of all of the middle class that's effectively increasing out there, the urbanization of the countries, middle class growing, the emerging countries that are growing, and the demand, of course, for that marketplace is what's creating that demand. Now, of course, we can certainly have a more conversation with the marketing team and, and talking about these things, but but that is where the market is happening in these markets and that that middle class in these emerging countries. All right, so you're faced with this incredible demand. You're talking about doubling the output of this jet engine over the next five years. What is the vision, what is the plan under which you're going to achieve that goal? 
Well, there's a lot of elements that are happening uh, today that how are we going to achieve this? I think your question is, how do we make sure we're successful in supporting that demand? Is that right? That's right. And in a very, you know, drilling down physical level, too, in terms of supply chain management, definitely. Well, clearly, listen, right now, there's no doubt about it that the challenge is in the supply chain. 80% of our components are from the supply chain and 20% as we make internally. And so really the focus is on supply chain execution. And we've been, we've been at this for the last five years and getting ready for this. And, and absolutely, it's exciting times for us at Pratt & Whitney today with all this, uh, like you said, this large order, this large backlog, the fact that the engine is absolutely performing to all of its specifications from a noise, from a, from a fuel burn, from all these elements that we are, we've committed to and we are meeting these performance metrics. So now it's time. It's exciting. It's time, but it's time to execute for supply chain. And I think we're ready for it. Obviously, there's a lot more work to do, but we certainly have a lot of things going for it. And I'll, I'll share with you what we have, what we're doing. But clearly, it starts as well internally. We are investing in a lot of our, our infrastructure, a lot of our IT infrastructure, a lot of our people. We're uh, hiring the right resources. We're training them. We're developing them to make sure that we have the organization and the processes that are ready for this type of volume because it is an unprecedented growth for us that we haven't seen in a long time. So there's no doubt about it that that's the, that's the situation. It starts with us internally. And so absolutely driving and investing in our people and our processes in our IT tools to be able to support that. We're also making sure that we are have the right strategy in place. So we're doing things like making sure we don't have any single point of failure in our suppliers. So dual sourcing, in some cases even triple sourcing, and signing long-term agreements with our suppliers to make sure that they are investing and that they are with us for the long term and that we have that long-term relationship with them as well. So that is one of the elements we are driving as well. And of course, we're testing the growth. We're testing it by what we call the boost program. So we are, as we are ramping up to the rates that we're talking about with Airbus and with Bombardier and E2, and as all these things come about, we are testing the rates of our manufacturing. And what the boost program is essentially is, is that, is that essentially ahead of when the rate is required, we test the capability of our suppliers to make sure we highlight any, any actions or any risks so that we can fix them before it's needed. And that is the boost program we're doing today. We're doing capacity readiness to make sure that the capacity is there. We're looking at production readiness. We're driving what we call PPAP, which is really a production part approval process to make sure that they have the right process certification in place. So there are a lot of things that we're doing to be able to make sure that we are ahead of it. And the name of the game here, Bob, is really clearly about about making sure that we are proactive and we are preventive rather than reacting to issues on a daily basis and surprises is that we are looking ahead long. We're looking at when is the raw material starting. We're looking at when are the right elements. So everything that we can be ahead. So and I call this proactive and preventive expediting rather than reactive expediting. We're investing in supplier development, people in the regions and supplier support where we have regional offices that is allowing us to effectively have people closer to our supply base. So I think everything that is possible we are doing to make sure that we are positioned for a successful growth as we go forward here into end of 16 into 2017. Before we talk about some of the specifics of the supply chain aspect, tell me about the engine itself. What makes it interesting? What distinguishes it from a technological standpoint? 
Well, as we talked about, double-digit reduction in noise, uh, 16% in fuel burn, emission reduction. Uh, it's really all about these major elements that is a game-changer for us, as we indicated in many areas, that makes the engine such a perfect time when we talk about the macroeconomics and the macro trend. So we now have the perfect engine to be able to position that. And, and you see some of the opportunities when we are in such airports that have a such noise-restrictive criteria or regulations that this engine is perfectly suited. When we're talking about effectively that the airlines are such challenged financially and we talk about the fuel burn, that is, the engine is perfectly suited. So I think everything is coming lining up for us where we're well-positioned for that growth. You say 80% of your parts are coming from outside of Pratt-Whitney factories, which I think is probably in keeping with the larger trend in the aerospace industry, is it not, even with regard to the construction of, of full planes, and that it is an increasing reliance on outside suppliers for parts and components. Is that, in fact, the trend with Pratt & Whitney, that uh, you used to draw more on your own resources and now you are reaching out more than you, than you did before? Absolutely. The uh, previous engines and the previous generations, it was anywhere between probably you know, 40 to 60 percent uh, outside. You could see that now we're up to that 80 percent level. And I think you're absolutely right that the industry trend, the aerospace industry trend, whether with the airframers or the engines or the large tier ones are absolutely the case, which makes it very important with a supply chain organization now. That supply chain, if you want field, is now a critical part of our success. Uh, and that's where we're now seeing a lot more a strategic view on supply chain versus a much more reactive or necessary evil. That's where we're investing much more in our processes, in our IT systems, in our people than before where supply chain, again, was simply a secondary element possibly. But there is no doubt about it that for UTC as a whole and for Pratt & Whitney, it's becoming a, a strategic organization that is critical to our success in the future. You certainly are putting an aspect of your fate in the hands of outsiders with that heavy level of outsourcing of parts. How do you approach suppliers differently today than you did before in order to make sure that they're on board and they can meet your exacting standards of quality? That's a very good question, Bob. I, I, clearly, there's a lot of things that we're doing today differently than we were. Number one is that we are looking at it where we're putting a lot more time investment up front in what is our strategy for each of the commodities. And that's one element we didn't focus on as much. So every commodity has its own strategy. We're signing longer-term agreements with our suppliers. That means that we're taking a much more collaborative approach with our supply base than where we were before. We are working with them earlier, so we're talking about a lot more about process control and process certification with the elements of PPAP that we were not doing as much before. We are going in and doing much more communication with them in terms of communicating with them our demand, in terms of our processes, in terms of what we expect. We probably do within UTC uh, in, 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 the, in the close to a half a dozen, I would say, supplier forums and major communications a year that we do between our sister division, UTAS, and the corporate and the Pratt team. So we are absolutely doing that. We also have a tool. We are driving to a UTC supplier gold metric. So what the UTC supplier gold metric is really quite simple. It talks about four elements. It talks about you've got to be gold certified. And there's four levels. There's underperforming, there's progressing, there's performing, and then you get to the gold level. And the, to get to the gold level, you really have to be close to 100% on time, you got to be close to zero escapes. You have to satisfy your customer with a, with a market feedback analysis that your customer, i.e., 
Pratt or other UTC divisions in this case are satisfied. And finally, you have to have what they do. What we do is a forward-looking supplier health analysis, which is really an analysis of the end-to-end of the business to say, can you sustain that performance level? And they do a self-audit, and then we do an audit on them. And that's other elements that we are driving to supplier gold certification. And our vision here is to really get the majority of our suppliers at either at the performing or gold level by 2020 as we get the supply base. So you could see that we a lot of changes and a lot of attention and investment in working with our suppliers in a collaborative manner than we worked before. Where are they now, uh, most of your suppliers, in terms of reaching for that gold metric level? I think, listen, I think they're all over the place. We have a lot of our suppliers that are local that we have grown with that are, are performing, and we have some suppliers that are international. To me, what's key here is that the suppliers are providing value, that means that they're performing at the best available cost possible, that they're competitive. And that's where we, we are. And this is where whether you're local supplier or whether you're an international supplier, as long as you are driving to supplier gold and you're performing, and as long as you provide a competitive element, the beauty of it here is that the technology revolution with all this automation and, and all these 3D printing and all these elements is really making it into a an interesting level playing field where technology can help whether it's local suppliers or international suppliers, be more competitive, have better quality and better performance. And it's become an interesting dynamic that's changing the supply base and how, it, uh, how we look at it right now. You talk about no single point of failure. You talk about dual and in some cases even triple sourcing. That makes eminent sense from a risk management standpoint, obviously. But does that not also add to your costs? And how do you control costs or can you keep costs uh, under control by spreading the business around a little bit? Well, I think absolutely, but I mean, there is no doubt about it that it adds more certification, more management, more administration costs, but it, it's something that we don't have a choice to do. If we want to make sure that we de-risk it and we support our customers, we have to make sure we have these no single point of failures addressed. So uh, it's the right investment. It was part of our plan since day one. We're executing on that plan, and it really the question becomes, we can't afford not to do it, and that's really the, the, the answer to that. We have to make sure that we are shielding our, cu- our customers, and we are delivering 100% to, our, to their, their requirements. I have to assume that the single point of failure policy also has a secondary advantage to you, and that is it would probably keep suppliers on their toes to know that they are not the only supplier to you of certain key components and parts, so they would definitely be incentivized to keep up their level of quality for that reason. Listen, there is no secret, Bob, that that absolutely is a secondary value, but also, we listen, we... Uh, you know, I always say it, we as consumers ask more for less. And therefore, it's the same thing when we fly in airplanes, we ask more for less. Our ticket price today is probably very comparable to where it was 10 years ago, if not less. And so therefore, we put a strain on the system. And we as a supply chain organization, our customers, certainly, we took a lot of challenges with these uh, with this new engine programs, uh, which we're driving, and we have to ask our supply base to do the same. And there's a lot of opportunities out there whether in reducing costs of poor quality, whether it's in introducing more technology, uh, whether it's being more lean, there's a lot of opportunities that we collectively as a supply chain organization and supply base have to go after. Now, I'm sure that in launching this program, you'd never assumed that it was that a program of this high complexity was going to be executed flawlessly from day one. And in fact, you have had supplier issues in terms of the lack of on-time delivery with a certain number of them. What's the situation there? What was the problem and, and how are you addressing it now? 
Well, listen, there's multiple elements. Well, first of all, what everybody has to understand is that this NEO program really is a is an existing platform of an airframer that is using a new engine. That means that essentially the, the ramp, the speed of the ramp is incredibly fast compared to a regular program where the platform would be a new platform as well. So that adds a lot of challenges. That means we're introducing a lot of new part numbers of new suppliers, new engineering changes, et cetera, as this, this engine is being more mature. So you're absolutely right. I think there is certainly no surprise that challenges would, would happen, and we are facing with these challenges. And I think everything I mentioned to you before, making sure that there's the right capacity, making sure we have the right producibility, making sure that we work in collaboration with the suppliers to understand, is there any engineering changes that we can do to support the, the producibility of the part? All of these things are what we're working on today to make sure we improve quality, producibility, make sure we have the right capacity and the right collaboration with the suppliers that we're investing in the future to eliminate any of the challenges we have. How is your communication downstream to your own customers in terms of them communicating to you their exact needs that you can then communicate upstream to your suppliers? I think everybody's working incredibly well together. Our customers, I mean, we work in collaboration with our customers and share all the information about what's going on in terms of with our supply base. There's nothing that we're hiding there. Our customers are sharing all the information. I think we understand that we, in order for us to succeed, we got to succeed as a team and we got to share information up and down so that everybody has the same set of information to drive to one set, same set of common goals. Because you talk about this idea of creating capacity and production readiness, which sounds great, but that just me must be terribly difficult to achieve. There's so many elements in creating that sense of readiness. I mean, I wonder how you even begin to approach what sounds like a simple concept, but in execution must be very difficult to achieve. It's absolutely, I mean, it's, you're, you're absolutely right, Bob. I mean, it, it is a challenge. So, I mean, and how we achieve that is really uh, in multiple fold. First is that we have a, what we call a production readiness rate program that exists. So it's standard work, it's standard set of elements that we look at, we train our resources to go see that, and we are getting better and better at making sure we execute on that and, and make sure our suppliers understand what are we looking for and what they need to do. So there is no doubt about it that this is a key element. We're also driving towards an early detection process so we can react in sufficient time to make sure that at the end of the day, the part or the assembly is delivered on time. So we're driving towards what we call leading indicator and-ons, and and-on is a term for highlighting issues, but that is one way we are doing it. So we're driving to standard work and working with our supply base to work on starting on time, sufficient whip in the processes, making sure the process is under control, making sure the tools are ready. These are all early elements or early detection systems that we want to drive and, and react early on rather than react late. So that's a key element for us. The other element for us is what we have is making sure we make this visible. So not only after we've detected it, but we got to make it visible, and that's where we invested in what we have, a command center that we have that is detecting all of the risks and events early on, so we have time to make sure we address them early so that we are reacting early enough to avoid the issue from happening. So these are all elements. The supplier development team, the team that we're, we're forward deploying to our regions around the world, those are people that are going to be boots on the ground that will see things that we may not see unless we go visit them, and therefore they'll be giving us early warning. All of these things that we're doing to make sure that we are having early detection, early reaction. 
I think the final thing I would say as well, I think that's an industry issue, is to me material management. We're investing heavily in trying to have schedule stability and having a more a better stable schedule that we supply to our, our supply base, and that's something that we are very much focusing on to improve the way we manage our material in our SAP system and how we communicate these dates to our suppliers. And I know that this is a challenge for all of the aerospace industry that we certainly will be taking on very much uh, at, a, at a prioritized basis here within Pratt. And to that issue in the Department of Best Laid Plans, I'm wondering as you look ahead, what are some of the potential wild cards down the road, some macro issues that might cause you to have to pivot or alter your strategy, whether that's fuel prices, economic recession, mergers and the like? What are you looking at that could potentially disrupt or cause you to take to uh, to alter your strategy? Well, listen, I think there's no doubt about it that if there's one thing we know in supply chain is that change is the only constant. And we'll go with a, a few of them. When anything, something like what happened with the UK lately in the EU, that is an impact to us. We've got to assess what the impact is. Does that change? When new technology comes in, that has a, an impact to us. When natural disasters happen, and we have that, my God, we probably manage one every week, whether it's a tsunami, whether it's an earthquake, whether it's other elements like that, that we have to do. And that's where as well the no single point of failure and the strategies that we have allow us to react in a better way, in a better way to make sure that we're driving towards being more ready for these things that we just can't predict as much as we try to. So certainly oil prices has changed the approach on us, and so therefore we're looking at what do we do with raw material based on commodity pricing being at a lower level today. Uh, when capacity, demand, and supply changes in the market, when raw material happens, that has an impact on our strategy. So a lot of things, and that's, the, I guess, the exciting part of supply chain, but it's also the challenging part of supply chain is there's so many variables that we have to manage, it, and that's where we have to, be, we have to continue to strive toward, towards being a world-class supply chain organization. Well, Sam Abdul-Malik, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us to describe the Pratt & Whitney strategy and vision for dealing with what looks like an enormous demand facing you in the years ahead and how you're going to adjust to that. So thank you so much for being with us today. Well, it was a pleasure, really a pleasure to uh, take some time with you and share our vision. We're very excited. Again, exciting times at Pratt, and we're excited to be there. We're absolutely uh, looking forward to the ramp, and we're ready for it. So thank you so much, Bob, for taking the time. That was my conversation with Sam Abdul-Malik of Pratt & Whitney, talking about the ramping up of an innovative new jet engine and its accompanying supply chain challenges. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.